2: Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terra Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and this show is a little bit different this week. Instead of having a round table discussion like we often do, there's going to be three different parts to this with three separate guests. Firstly, you hear myself talking to Kieran Mooney, who is a Wasp TV commentator about Barry Ferguson's departure from Alaba Athletic. Then you'll hear Andy Harrow talking to Finlay Jack. He is a Queen of the South commentator. They will, of course, be covering Alan Johnson's exit from Palmerston. And then finally, I will be back to talk to Daniel Smith, who runs a D Archive about James McPake being sacked as Dundee manager and being replaced, for some reason, with Mark McGee. So I hope you enjoy all that. Firstly, it's myself talking to Kieran. Enjoy the show. I'd now like to welcome my first guest into tonight's podcast to talk about Barry Ferguson resigning as manager of Alloa Athletic, and that is Wasp TV commentator Kieran Mooney. Hello, Kieran. Thank you for joining me.
3: No, not a problem. Thanks for thanks for having us on.
2: Ah, no problem. No problem. Were you surprised that Barry resigned? Because I, I heard that he'd left. And then it wasn't like, I can't remember, I think it was maybe a bit busy that day. I'd, I'd slept in after the Super Bowl and then I was kind of catching up with work for the rest of the day. So I didn't really get the details until a day or two later. And I was like, oh, he resigned rather than being sacked.
3: Yeah, it was a strange one, the story that kind of came out. I'm not sure if I completely believe it. But um, yeah, I wasn't really surprised, to be honest. It's been a horrific season and um, the mood on Saturday was just different to all the other defeats as part of the run so the only thing i was surprised about it wasn't Saturday night that they waited till Monday but no I'm glad that it's I'm glad that it's over now.
2: (laughs) Do you think that uh, the chairman Mike Mulroney would have pulled the trigger before the end of the season if he hadn't resigned because I think that there seems to be a kind of common thought amongst Alowa fans that Barry would have been given to the end of the campaign. I think
3: if you look at Mike Moreney's history, I don't think he's really pulled the trigger with many managers. I can only think one off the top of my head and everyone else has been given the chance to, to turn that around or given the chance to um, resign themselves. I think if we look in the past, some managers have been able to, to change it, Goodwin being the prime example. So I think Moreney is probably one of the more lenient owners. So I wouldn't have been surprised to see Barry being given to the summer.
2: Now that, uh, on the subject of, of Mike Moreney, what did you think of his comments earlier in the season about the job that Barry was doing?
3: Yeah, it was a bit. I'm um, all for backing your manager, but it was a bit over exaggerated, I had to think. Um, <laughs> to say he was delighted with the job, I mean, I sat a couple of rows along from him and we were watching exactly the same football, so he's seen many, many good Alola teams, so to be delighted with that, I'm not sure what's, what he's. What he's taken, but yeah, very exaggerated to say the least.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So for those listening who might not have an idea, so Allo are in 8th place, they're 7 points off the bottom, they're 27 points from Cove in 1st place. Now we'll get to kind of diving deeper into the team's struggles, but just in terms of an overall picture, how much is an underachievement is it that the club are fighting relegation rather than fighting for promotion given the aims at the beginning of the campaign? And the fact that last season you were in the Championship...
3: Yeah, exactly. And last season, the championship, albeit we got relegated, we didn't play as bad a football as we're playing this season. Barry came in and I think most fans would have been happy to consolidate, you know, float about the playoffs, fight for promotion. But Barry came in and the first thing he said was, "Um, I'm going to win the title. And the chairman says, I'm going to give you a bigger budget than the championship. So automatically... All the expectations just got risen right to the top. And you look at the squad of players that you've got, the budget that you've got, and then what was happening on the park was just totally night and day to what was coming out of their mouths. So it's, um, to go from the best part-time team four or five years ago to be fighting for relegation in League One, it's quite catastrophic, to be honest.
2: Barry raised some early red flags in his tenure with his kind of decision to either get rid of or kind of push to the side some kind of club favourites. Can you talk us through those?
3: Yeah, I think well, when Barry came in, he wasn't a popular appointment to start with. So the first thing you do is just try and ease yourself into the job. He came in with the machine gun and just do totally started ringing the changes. I think the most notable one would be Neil Parry, arguably one of the best part-time keepers, maybe kind of getting on a bit now to be fair to him, but um, one of the best part-time keepers in the game. He played one competitive game in the League Cup, made one mistake and then never was seen again, was punted into the stands and then eventually ended up at Clyde. And, um, so that was quite the decision and then when you replace him with, with David Hutton who's maybe not quite as good as Neil Parry it makes it even worse um, but that's, he's not been alone in the way that he's been treated. Andy Graham one of the nicest guys one of the most model professionals in, in the game totally bombed out for Fernand Mendy which was bonkers <laughs> and Kevin Cawley as well was dropped just before his four hundredth appearance. John Robertson dropped. and um, the list the list goes on. The only one that's really kept their place is Scott Taggart. And I just think the Allah fans are a bit bewildered why he took a really settled, good, solid team and just completely ripped it up into a million pieces.
2: <laughs> what was it like if you had to I don't know if you know or whether you'd have to guess, but what would you reckon he what his motivation was? Was it a kind of like I'm going to make my own stamp on this this is going to be my team and he's just taken that far too far
3: I think so um, I think so it, um, it was a lot of big characters that Alowa team had been together for 6-7 years it was Jack Ross that put them together they'd come through so much um, like I say they're big characters real team unit and I think Barry came in and said things need to change but with Barry Ferguson, he doesn't realise that you can do things slowly. He just decided to do everything at once. And this is only me just guessing. I think there was probably some sort of ego as well come to, come to fruition, especially with the Andy Graham situation. That was a guy who was touted for the manager's job before Barry. He signed players in the summer when we were managerless. And the fact that he was now bombed out into the stands, it kind of felt like I'm in charge. And you'll sit up there, um, even if it's to the detriment of the team. That's just me speculating, but I don't think I'm alone in that opinion. So,
2: <laughs> what was so Barry got uh, bombed at a few of these guys? Brought in his own players. What was his own record in the transfer market like?
3: Um, quite wild to be honest. I was actually looking at it before we went, uh, before we came on this, and he's brought in eighteen players, and he was in a job for like five months. So,
2: <laughs> always the sign of a good manager.
3: <laughs> I know it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, there's one player in particular who played one game in the league cup against Rangers Colts, and then never ever was seen again. He trained with us for about four or five months, played ninety minutes, and then then. I don't even know if he's still contracted at the club, and I think that's kind of the basis of most of his most of his signings. If you can count maybe five, six, seven who have been signed who have no appearances to their names and no look in at all. It's weird. There's a couple of hits in there, of course. Like Ewan Henderson's probably his biggest success, but for every Ewan Henderson, there's about four. Jordan Armstrongs or Tom Latens, who Aloha fans have never seen, on the park.
2: Are there any that you've seen that have kind of disappointed? That you think there's a player there, he might come good under a new management team. Um, probably. There's a there's a
3: few that have kind of floated. I would say Daniel Church is probably the main one, um, who's suffered a lot. Um, he's a left back we signed, he was in the Celtic Academy played at Dumbarton on loan he's, he's nothing like special compared to the left backs we've had in the past but he's very good, um, he's a decent player but I think he's just been shot of confidence and there was a spell in the season where he was the only fit left back but they were playing um, two centre mids there, a centre half there, a right back and he's sitting on the bench and by the time that he comes on he's just getting shouted at by Barry and he's back pass after back pass and he's probably one that could thrive. He's started to kind of come onto a game now um, and he's probably one that could thrive under a new manager but it's just not the best man management skills with with a young left back who's just come out of one of the big academies.
2: And how did Barry like to set out his team? What was his system? What was his preferred style of play? Well this is funny because
3: I was listening to Open Goal and Cy Ferry said um, we we beat Peter Head last week and Sy Ferry said that wasn't a Barry team. Like We won that game and um, that wasn't a Barry team. I knew he was going to go after that. I'd love to know what Sy Ferry thinks is a Barry team because to me that's exactly what they were. Um, we had a really good passing um, team. We've always been kind of known for that over the last couple of years. But this year it was just kind of, when you sign Connor Salmon, you kind of write your own tactics, don't you? Um, It was a lot of route one sort of stuff, a lot of counter-attacking football, very combative in the midfield, which I think has been well highlighted, but it wasn't quite as easy in the eye as um, previous managers.
2: Do you mean well highlighted because of some of the red cards? (laughs)
3: Yeah, some of the red cards and the Celtic game and, but I think the red cards mainly that's probably been one of the biggest downfalls of his, of his team the amount of times they just kick players off the ball for no reason or fly into challenges for 15 seconds into a game it's just being yeah, a bit was, bonkers
2: Yeah, that was Senna Nyang who got set off after 40 seconds or something or
3: uh, for, uh, Half that I think it was 18 seconds he made contact with the boy um,
2: <laughs> but uh, <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think I kind of summed it. I think I summed it up. We've had red cards in six different games this season, and we've not won either. We've not won any of the six, and it was just like it it was ridiculous. Like you can't win a. We can barely win a game
2: with eleven players.
3: So what chance have we got with ten? Sort of thing.
2: (laughs) What's it it like as a club commentator when one of your players gets sent off in eighteen seconds? It was you just
3: last year. Notes your notes just get ripped up and thrown away, and especially when you're playing against Cove Rangers, like arguably the best team in the league, it just becomes a passing a, a training exercise. It's um it was the same on last Saturday against East Fife. You would come out. We're losing two one. You know the tails are up at half time. Two minutes into the second half, red card. You've got to sit for forty five minutes and commentate on on a training drill. But uh, yeah, it's been tough, tough season.
2: In addition to his uh, the way his team played, what were Barry's biggest struggles as a manager?
3: Um, probably, I think he never really connected with the fans, which is a big thing. Um, Alor a community club, um, he never he never communicated with the fans. When we had tricky results, he would um, duck the press conferences, stuff like that. So his communication has always been really poor. Um, game management. Has been really poor um, and motivation. I think as well. I, um, you look at the sidelines and he's, he's shouting and bellowing. He's he's not really motivating the players. You look to the assistant manager Bob Malcolm. He's not much better. Um, so there was not really much to change during the game either. And there's no. You don't look to the sidelines and say, "Oh, I want to play for him." It just didn't really happen for him.
2: Yeah, those kind of you touched upon what I was gonna ask you next. Like first of all, like I just read that today. He no showed at press conferences. How often did he do this?
3: Yeah, I looked at it um three three times. Um, but there was a common theme, uh, four two defeat to Peterhead at home, red card, two one defeat to Dumbarton at home, red cards, and then the last one, three one loss to East Fife at home, red card. So <laughs> when it got tough, even <laughs> he'd send Paddy or he'd send he'd send Bob up to the press conferences and uh, just a simple thing as well like when he left the club when Peter left the club last summer um, he was really good he came and spoke to a lot of the staff um, he phoned the advertiser spoke to him Barry's just kind of slipped out the back door um, I don't think he even did a statement on the website and then we look and then half an hour later he's done an interview with the Daily Record or Go Radio and I think that's kind of the the frustration that a lot of fans have
2: had this season. Yeah, I saw something about saying, I do soon, I don't know what they were referring to, but it, it might have been Go Radio, it might have been something else, because I don't think it would have been Sports because it wasn't late enough in the evening, uh, on the Monday, but it's, somebody says like he should. Get, he deserves a full-time job, because he was such a good player.
3: <coughs> yeah, I think that was Mark Greedy. Anyway, you know, I think Mark Greedy also hit out with... Um, yeah, the ALWA players, because they're part time, they're not good enough to learn off a player and a manager of Barry <laughs> Ferguson's <laughs> oh, standard.
2: What a pitch.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, bonker's statement, you've got <laughs> oh, guys guys like Stephen Scuggle not good enough to learn how you know, a passing drill off of Bob Malcolm and Barry Ferguson that like, come off it. But <laughs> it was um, that was that was Mark Greedy. To be fair, I think Barry actually came a okay- Came across all right in that goal radio. Is this just these pals that were bigging him up for the, for the next Rangers job, uh, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Like, uh, he'll get another chance. And it's like the amount of chances he gets is just yeah. unbelievable. Like, fair enough, yeah, he took Kelty up. I think I, I think I could have taken Kelly up with that squad, <laughs> like that that squad for lower Lowland League. I mean, the squad just for League Two is still a bit ridiculous with Nathan Roster and Caleb Higginbottom guys who could possibly exactly. be played in the Championship if they really wanted to. <laughs> uh, so for that to be playing in the Lowland League, like they were always going to win the title. Like <laughs> the exactly. have, if he didn't do, it, it would have been a massive underachievement. And he was I terrible did. at Clyde. Some people like, think he exactly. did a decent job with Clyde. He was rubbish.
3: Exactly. And I think I think the thing with us when we when he was appointed at Alibog, we were like, right, okay, he's done terrible at Clyde, we'll let that slip. He's had a three years at Kelty. He might have learned, but, you know, you probably saw it in the Pie and Bovril forum, the Clyde fans are jumping on and we say something and they're like, Yep, yeah, that happened to us like seven years ago I'm like, what's this still happening? How he not learned? And how have people still giving him a chance? But yeah, it's very yeah. You he'll, he'll still get one, like you say. He'll still be touted up for whatever Joel uh, no, comes uh, up
2: yeah and I've seen like it was like quite often on the Pele podcast uh, with Craig telephone. when he talked to some of the players who worked under him at Clyde I spoke to and uh, I met uh, Jordan Loudon once uh, who I think he was at Elgin I can't remember where he is now uh, he used to play for Arbroath as well he was at Clyde Ferguson signed him yeah, he quite liked him for signing him um, and he, Ferguson rated him highly and then he'd done his knee and. Uh, But he was saying, like, he's just, in terms of his man management, he just comes and absolutely screams at the players. That's like, that's his style. Like, that's how he thinks that, like, you should manage a team. I mean, it's very kind of, I don't know, I don't know if there are some managers that still works with, but I think for the most part in this day and age, players don't respond to just getting screamed at all the time, especially with the part time players. And it's like, you know, I'm doing this. A couple of times a week for no much money because it's fun and I like doing it. I don't want to be screamed at for you by you, regardless of what you've done in the game.
3: Exactly, and I think that's I think that's what happened at Aloha as well. Like the the lows were so so low, and he would definitely react, <laughs> absolutely screaming ball at them. And yeah, like you say, players don't enjoy that, and then they very quickly lose respect. And I, for me, I think Barry Ferguson's rep as a player is slowly, slowly going away and being forgotten about because this manager rep that he's created is just (laughs) comical.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, like, he obviously had a great time as a player. I think the kind of biggest standout has been captain of a Rangers team that reached the UEFA Cup final, and he was a terrific player. But if you're thinking about, like, especially these days when there's, like, we're not so insular as much anymore. Like, people are watching you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid and, you know, Juventus and watching football across Europe most, like, pretty much most nights of the week now. Uh, If you're watching the English Premier League as well, like the Italian football is on, on, on BT all the time. So you're watching this and then Think about it, and then you're always going to have new generations of like Rangers and Celtic heroes as well. And Ferguson deserves to be quite highly above there, but his, his younger kids are coming through more. Like you never seen Ferguson play, and okay, what was his biggest achievements? He won some titles with Rangers. He led them to the yeah, FA Cup final. What did he do with Scotland? Nothing, because Scotland were terrible at the time. Um, it was a part of a, <laughs> the best nearly team ever in, uh, in um, 06 or 07 when uh, the team nearly reached the Euros. But if you look at his kind of career accomplishments. Like the, the way that he seems to get talked up at times, it's like, yeah, I remember Barry Ferguson. Barry Ferguson was a terrific footballer, but can we stop talking about him like he's fucking Ronaldo? <laughs>
3: exactly, exactly. And I think I think the players are catching on to that as well. And at the start of the season, there was there was probably players that we've signed like who have signed just because it's Barry Ferguson. Like it was quite. You look at the guys that we've signed; they've all got Rangers connections, whether they're supporters or academy players. And they've obviously signed for Ferguson, but in the January transfer window, every time he did a press conference or a, like an interview, it was, "Oh, we've lost like, three or four different players this week." Even till the day that he left, and I was like, "Well, note the the common theme here." <laughs> like, the word <laughs> spreads in the lower leagues and Scottish football, like it's very small circles. So, yeah, players are going to stop coming just because Barry Ferguson took Rangers to a European Cup final.
2: Yeah and I was going to get the conversation of who you vote as the next manager, but firstly I just had this written down Fernande Mendy discuss <laughs> yeah.
3: do you know what? that's such a weird one he's such a lovely guy I don't know have you met him before like just I've not your, met
2: him but Sean's uh, met him and Sean says he's a lovely guy
3: oh, he's just like the best guy ever so it's very hard to like be critical of him but it's also not like if you watch him play for like <laughs> 15 minutes Um Yes, some some story. He's given. He's like given. When we were like in the view, like we've not won in like eight games, nine games, ten games. Season's depressing, and then boom, we've got a player in Afcon. Like he's given us like a buzz in the middle of the season, but half of the buzz was because we were going to be missing him for four weeks. Like (laughs) um, he's not been brilliant, to be fair. He's he's so fit. He's like a massive. Like he's a big athlete, big, strong, fast, but. He's just like, oh my goodness, his coordination, his um, thought process and his defending is is chaotic. And I think for him to be dropped for Andy Graham, it was, it made it even worse. But, um, he's a lovely big guy, so that's, <laughs> suppose that's what he's known for. But his football vulnerability is, is quite, um, I think comical is a word I sometimes use on commentary. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's it's most entertaining thing to watch. Like he's, I've seen him, I've seen him in the six yard box do about four keepy uppies and overhead kick at clearance when he can just pass it out. So sometimes it's amazing to watch, but most of the time it's just what the hell is going on.
2: <laughs> okay, who do you fancy is your next manager? Uh,
3: well, I think it's pretty obvious. I think most of the Alola fans have, are very united with Andy Graham being the next boss. The guy is so well respected in Scottish football he's so well liked in the dressing room he pretty much did it in the summer between Peter Grant and Barry Ferguson like he signed quite a f- quite a few players he resigned the majority of the, the squad um and I think there were some reasons with um, he wanted to continue playing that he was wasn't interested in it permanently. But I think he's 39 now, the season's maybe not played out the way that he wanted to. I think if he got offered it again, or if it, the opportunity came up again, I wouldn't see him turning it down. And I think Al would be stupid. They've got a guy there who fits the mould of previous successes, he's well-liked, loved by the fans, which I think is the most important thing just now, and he's there already, so... I I wouldn't really want to entertain anyone other than him to be honest.
2: Okay, Kieran, thank you very much for joining me.
3: No worries, thanks very much for having me on again.
2: And now over to Mr. Andy Harrow.
4: Hey my name's Andy Harrow, and I'm joined today by Finlay Jack, who is the now almost
5: former former commentator <laughs> for Queen of the Side TV. Finlay, how are you doing? Yeah, fantastic, fantastic! Excited to be on the podcast. <laughs>
4: uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having you. You're uh, um, certainly, from experience of, of watching uh, live streams for the past couple of years, uh, Queen's TV's been been one of the better ones. So, um, so yeah, you will definitely be a loss uh, to the <laughs> to the station when when you go. Uh, but uh, I think what we'll do. There's obviously been quite a, a bit of news about Queen of the South recently, yeah. primarily with Alan Johnson. Finally leaving uh, over the last couple of days, so uh, we'll kind of dig into that uh, and, and get your um, feelings in terms of what's happened this season and uh, maybe what's to come as well. So I think I think firstly, if, if we start with Johnson, was it a surprise that it's it's taken this long for for that
5: decision to be taken? Um, it, it seemed like um, yeah, we're expecting it in January. It was on a bit of a shigley peg for a while, I think. There was a few moments. This season, where I think people maybe expected him to get sacked, to look back at the defeat to Cove Rangers in the Scottish Cup at the start of December, I think 3-0. I think people were kind of expecting it. Then it didn't happen. Um, the start of this year was a couple of really poor losses to Kamarnik and on at home. No shots on target either of those games, albeit the referees gave us some dodgy decisions, penalties against us. But I thought a couple of those times I thought he might have gone the fact that the board stuck with him in January, I, I get, I, I understand that they want to give him the window to try and improve the squad, to to build something. I'm surprised that it's happened just after he's had that window. Um, but I think I to Martin. You know, we're four points adrift at the bottom of the league. And on paper, our squad's a, a relatively de- decent squad. You know, we've got some good players in amongst Dennis Cameron. is a good striker. Harry Cockney's been injured, but he's a top midfielder and really good young talent. So, you know, <sighs> I'm a surprised it took so long, probably. Um, but listen, Willie Gibson's in charge now. He is Queen of the South through and through. Um, and it's taken less than 24 hours to get the fans back on side. So I'm excited for Saturday. and excited to see what he can do with the team.
4: Yeah, and uh, just just for a bit of context, for people who maybe don't follow the Championship so closely, uh, so Queen's are obviously sitting 10th at the moment. Yeah. As you say, they're four behind on firm and some behind air, uh, which would be safety. Um and there's a, Queens have got a game in hand, so it's not it's not completely outside the realms of possibility of of escaping at this point in time. Um, I, I was looking at uh, a couple of message boards and, and fans had seemed pretty despondent uh, up until the uh, the sacking of Johnson. But this do you think this changes things then fundamentally? Because I suppose that the the he's maybe got Gibson is that he's he doesn't have a window to bring in any players that he no. fancies. He's kind of left with a squad that he's. Yeah.
5: I mean, the, well, the Scottish domestic loan window's open, I think, to the end of February. I think we've got one more loan available. Whether we use that, I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but listen, the, the players know him. The players respect Willie Gibson. He's the captain. He's uh, looked up and you know, he's seen as a, a role model within the squad. And he's been in charge of the reserves now for you know a couple of seasons. I've not had a chance to see them, but from what everyone tells me, they do get the ball on the ground. They try and play some sort of nice football, which fans want. Um, my only issue with the kind of the player-manager thing is, yeah, I'm not convinced the managers can play as well. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be proved wrong because Willie Gibson's one of our most important players. Um, you know, we'll see on Saturday whether he starts himself. Um, I'm not sure who's coming in to help him out uh, behind the scenes just yet, but you know, he's certainly got a big job in his hands. Um, yeah,
4: do you think? Do you think you'd expect to see any sort of more experienced person coming in to to help him out at all, or or will he just work with with what he's got?
5: It's difficult. Last season, the start, of the first two league games last season had a COVID outbreak within the managerial staff. So, the old keeper David Matheson came in just to help us out on the touchline. Um, of course, a lot of that was him kind of being on the phone to Alan Johnson, who was in charge at the time. He was at home with COVID. Um, I think we'll have to bring somebody in, somebody off the field. There's been names mentioned. Brian Rice has been a name that's mentioned a lot. He's got a fantastic coaching record. He's experienced as well. Someone like him, I'd like to see come in the door. But first and foremost, I'd like to see Willie Gibson get the job permanently. I think he's got a bit of a free hit for the next thirteen league games, one cup game, maybe two cup games. Nobody's really expecting us to stay up. I still think we can. Um, you know, Willie's somebody that certainly has a future in management. Um he's got the tactical news to to be a top manager. So hopefully he can get it And Hopefully the boards can back him and bring in somebody experienced. It's difficult having for the season though, you know, to bring in there's not that many people about and available, is there? So
4: yeah, and especially with the, the situation Queens are in, that yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's potentially a bit more. It's less appealing uh, in there's <laughs> maybe less chance of of rescuing it than maybe if they were if yeah. I, I think uh, Sean and our uh, chats mentioned about you know it, John Hughes being in a similar situation at the mm-hmm. at Rovers a few years ago, but the difference was Rovers weren't bottom of the table when uh, when he joined, so it looked like there was maybe more chance of it being being positive, but. On, on Willie Gibson it's been some some rise for him, given that for a lot of his career, certainly from the outside, it always seemed like he was maybe uh, maybe a bit of a bad influence or maybe he didn't have his head screwed on. Um so so the the fact that he's come in and um like you say he's, he's been one of Queens best players since he's he's rejoined. Yeah. Uh the fact that he's he's obviously taken more responsibility behind the scenes and now he's he's coming in as manager, I mean that's that's been some turnaround for him.
5: It's yeah, so kind of a, the rise, because he made his debut for Queen's 21 years ago now, which is almost my entire lifetime ago. was <laughs> quite crazy. And he's, you know, a good career. We've seen as that kind of bad attitude, kind of hot-headed player. you know, with experience, he's calmed down a bit. When he signed us last summer, um, well, we, he was the reserve manager beforehand, but I don't think anyone really expects him to sign as a first-team player. He played for the reserves just for that kind of experience. And, you know, our reserve team is pretty much under-18 team. But he signed a lot of eyebrows were raised and nobody saw him playing right back either. And uh, championship player of the month last February, um, and he's still Mr. Consistently. He's played right back, centre back and a back three and a back two, centre midfield, either wing, he's played left back, he's played right wing back this season, and now he's in the touchline. So you know, it's anything they can do. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I suppose I suppose we'll find out fairly soon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um just to just to, to dig into maybe look back at what's, what has happened and, and w- why Queen's are in this situation. Um, uh, from from the outside, it maybe looked like uh, that Queen's might struggle this season given that there was a bit of a turnover in the playing staff and that uh, you'd maybe lost some of the, the people at Obli who'd, who'd come in and been a success last season, Connor Shields, and obviously Dolby had gone... Has the season been, I mean, obviously, Queen's are bottom, so it's, it's been a disappointment, but how, how disappointing has it been in comparison to maybe what expectations were like at the, at the start of the year?
5: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we put together on paper, for me, a, a really, really strong squad that has, you know, there, there's holes in it, there's positions you'd like to improve, but it's got, you know, the attributes to not compete for the league necessarily, but certainly get up in that top four Um you know, for me, on paper, I went to the Queen's fam. We've got a better squad than Martin, a better squad than Air, a better squad than Hamilton. You know, we hope to kind of punch him over the way. and they both can do that. But with the likes of Harry Cochrane, you know, Paul Mackay, Roberto Diti was so highly sought after. And so we've really got a few top youngsters. The thing lacking's is experience, but, you know, that's not the be on and end-all. Um, and yet, you know, he's had to put together a whole new squad, but he's done that three times in mean, three mm. seasons at Queen's. Um, the difference was this season, we actually had five or six that stayed on from last, which wasn't the same the year before. Um, and it's, it's a reasonably big squad. The issue is, and it was like last season. You take a punt on Io Obalai, somebody who's tried and untested in Scotland, and it came off as a success story. We've done the same this season with a few players. Ruben Juniors came up, Josh Tobayo, Udo Kachima, and it's not quite worked out as well as it has for Io. Um You know, it's it, it's disappointing that he's put together a good squad. That's one of his you know best bits as his manager, at Alan Johnson's recruitment, I think. Um, and the aim's always top four, he's been backed by the board, I think everyone can see that, and he was given time as well, um, but yeah, it's, the performance is, as I say, it's disappointing, some of them have just been woeful, just terrible, but sometimes we've we've just turned it on and looked a really, really, really good team, it's just the inconsistency, is just an inexperienced squad, I guess, that's what comes with it.
4: Yeah, and what do you think is behind that inconsistency? Uh, I, I saw Again, I saw people kind of complaining about maybe a, a lack of consistency in the, the starting 11, but what, what do you yeah. think Been been kind of the main factors behind I it? I
5: think that's pretty much it, The the formation changes a lot. We never really know. You know, I go to a game and I'll see the team sheet at 2 o'clock and you've no idea what formation you're going to play. Hmm. Sometimes you've got 3-5-2, sometimes you've got a 4-4-2, four, four, you've got a four one four one 4-1-4-1 at times. Three for, it's, 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 a, it's like a lottery you're picking out a half formation the joy is we've got players that can play multiple positions which helps um, but it's like Roberto Dita came in after a season of four for playing defence he's spent most of the season playing one position in one game and a different one in the next game and it's, you know it can't be easy for him he's forms dipped, and I think that's probably the result of that I think it's that the starting 11's changed a lot, I think, to be expected when you lose games. I think the formation changing a lot is difficult. You know, how do you work on playing three at the back for two days and then change back to four and then back to three and then, you know, it's hard for the players.
4: Yeah, and so do you think? Do you think the the board were maybe too loyal to Johnson over that that period in terms of hoping that it was going to recover? Do you feel like that the Queens would have more of a chance if if maybe? That decision been taken earlier or
5: I don't think you can criticise the board too much over sticking with him. I think so often these days you see managers get sacked after one or two bad results and not given the time to turn it around. Yeah. He had every chance to turn it around, which I, you know, I respect for the board. He's given that they've given him time to do it and he's clearly not done it. In hindsight, you'd say now you should have gone to the start of January because we've only had one point or two points at the start of January. Yeah. Um it, it, it kind of got to the point where we were on the bad run of defeat and he was of picking up results just when he needed results, so he, he got that extra time. Um, the, the, the other fans, you know, they, they'll say he should have gone last mm-hmm. season, probably, um, which I can totally understand. But I, I'll never criticise a board for for giving a manager, you know, one game too many rather than one game not enough. really
4: Yeah, and there was near. No, I mean, to be to be honest, there was nearly the you know the the game against Rovers midweek where they were pretty close yeah. to. Uh, to win in that, you know, they certainly there looked to be enough of a performance there, and that the the players are still still playing for them. I guess at that point, but that that Morton result. In fact, I guess it's been the the, the two out of those three games have been losses to Morton and Dunfermline and they kind of felt like yeah. killers, really.
5: Well, I think that's now. I could be wrong. Pressure, right? The last three home games we've yet to have a shot on target. <laughs> so regardless of who you're against, <laughs> not have a shot on target at home um, is is. Terrible. And obviously, Dunfermline—that's a big defeat. in their next games are both on Saturday, and then I believe it's Air and Morton after next two. After that, like with COVID between in the cup semi-final, um, so that you know that that's massive games for for Willie Gibson and the squad. And Johnson's shown that perhaps he couldn't get the results when he needed to. Um, so it's up to Willie now to to get a tune out of the team.
4: Yeah, and you'll be hoping you get the kind of bounce that, that Morton have had from Emory coming yeah. in and, I mean, they've had less of a bounce from, yeah. from Hughes coming in but, yeah, uh, I, I, I do wonder if just having somebody with um, Gibson's personality and everything might actually, and obviously he's kind of respect, well-respected within that that team might actually make a difference because there isn't uh, from kind of watching games against Rovers this season, there isn't a lot of difference, I don't think, between a lot of the a lot of the oh. teams, uh, so yeah, you know, it's, it seems like it's pretty thin, Marge. Yeah. I don't know, uh, in terms of that modern game, it seemed like, I mean, Queen's were leading with 10 minutes to go and then end up losing 2-1. Was it pretty much the same the same thing there? We just couldn't turn it into sort of a decent performance into a win?
5: We just, you know, it was it was looking like we were kind of sneaking away with a 1-0 and I don't think we deserve to win the game. Um I draw the McGarf everybody with a fair result. I think if anyone deserved it, it was Martin probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as you say, you've watched Rovers Queens three times this season. For whatever reason, we've that's you know, the only team that we've seen to have performed against is Rovers. <laughs> you know, you could ask you could ask a Hamilton fan what their thoughts are of Queens, and we've been we've made Hamilton look like Barcelona at times this season. <laughs> you know, it's and that's not I'm not just criticizing anyone, but so the inconsistencies are there. It's yeah. um but there isn't much. You know, we have gave Thistle, like we've beat Thistle in the um, the Challenge Cup we've drew with them we've got beat with them we've got an even record against them you know as you say Wraith Rovers we've kind of had two draws and a win I think for yeah. Queen of the South against Rovers or something this season so there's not much in the teams but it also shows that when you get a tune out of this Queen's team that you know they're good enough to pick up results against the top three or four sides in the division
4: yeah. so what's your what's your expectations then for the rest of the season where do you think Queen's will, will end up finishing <laughs>
5: difficult expectations guys um, that's not all I can ask is that is that Willie Gibson gives it a good go the players go out and give it their all I'm sure they will I'm sure they have done um, I don't think there's much a better motivator at the club than Willie Gibson will be for the players nobody's expecting us to stay up this season I don't think um, you know never, see, never say never I don't see why we can't stay up uh, naturally you're kind of hoping that Aaron and Ferman drop off slightly I, I don't think Martin will drop off too much Um but a couple of years ago, eight, nine years ago, Alan Johnson, when he was a player and Gus McPherson got sacked after getting his relegated. We played Ross County in the last game of the season. Alan Johnson's first game in charge as the manager. And we got beat 5-3 by Ross County. But it was one of my favorite ever Queens games because you could see the players going out, playing attacking football, looking like they're enjoying themselves and putting on a bit of a show. And if I could see that for 13 games this season, even if we do go down, it gives me and the rest of the Queens fans a sense of optimism going into next season, which and whatever league we're in will be tough.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Well, I I think that's a a good way to end it, I think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, hopefully... I mean, uh, as somebody from... uh, grew up in Dumfries and Dumfries' gallery, I'm kind of... I always have a slight soft spot for Queen, so hopefully (laughs) they... Uh, they get out of the, the predicament they're in but uh, thanks for joining us and enjoy your uh, your last game it's our growth at the weekend isn't it is that right that you're your yes. last game as
5: commentator? What a commentator what an easy game of Willie Gibson to start with hey, top of the <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what if there's, if there's any game you'll get a result on it'll be this for You new watch two Queens at the weekend
4: <laughs> I know yeah to be fair I don't think there'll be too many people being uh, supporting Queens that day I think, I think are, <laughs> the, are, uh, are everyone's favourite now for the for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I hope it goes well. And uh, thanks for, for joining us today,
5: Finlay. It's Andy. Cheers. Thank you.
2: And finally, the last guest of tonight's podcast is Dundee fan, Daniel Smith. Hello, Daniel.
1: Hi, Craig. Uh, thanks for having me on, I
2: guess. <laughs> it's funny. We're just, we just literally jumped on the call and... We've only been like we speaking to each other for like, thirty seconds, and we're just like laughing at each other like the events that have happened at Dens Park, Den, uh, Dundee Football Club. Really, really, ever a dull moment. Really, a good moment, but really, ever a dull moment. <laughs> Box office. Yes. That's what you mean to Box
1: say. Box office. Box office.
2: <laughs> so, well, let's take it back to McPake's sacking. It's uh, safe to say, coming off the back of two defeats. Uh, sorry, two victories. Sorry, not defeats. Two victories. Were you shocked at the announcement?
5: Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, you'd think you'd be sacked after back of two defeats, but um, winning back-to-back games and still getting the bullet, it's a weird timing. Uh, the only thing that we can think of is that the man, the, the managing director, John Ernst and Tim Keyes, must have felt that he was gone before the Harps game. And they were looking for people and no, not expecting to get a victory against Aps, Um and it's just worked out the way it's worked out.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was aye. Yeah, because that's what I kind of thought as well. I was going to uh, put that kind of uh, a similar kind of theory to you. Yeah, I kind of wondered as well whether they decided that we're we're going to sack them after the because the county game. I like think it's fair to say I I, uh, I didn't see the county game. Um, I think it was. I think it was on that podcast after it, but I think it was either Tory or Duncan that watched it. How bad was the county game? And, and was that a sackable of offence in itself?
5: Yeah, that's probably the first
1: time I've came away from the from the game uh, with Mick Pake in charge thinking, That's me done. Uh, Doesn't help that well, me and Gary about the hospitality, and we were kind of well on by that time. So you, you know your emotions are running high because of alcohol. But um, yeah, that was, I was kind of done with them after that game. Uh, just. Thrown away a one nil a one lead again against Ross County, and um, just because it was nine points that we've given them, and we've been pumped five nil from them, and three two up in Dingwall, and, and just the manner it kind of happened at Dens against County, uh, it was just to, for me that was the the breaking point. Uh, it was a bad game as well, to be honest.
2: And how bad? How bad was the performance? I'm I'm, I'm kind of asking this I know this is kind of in the past but I'm kind of asking this Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm really going to ask (laughs) how the fuck did then you go and beat Hearts but we'll get to that in a second
1: (laughs) (laughs) The performance well first first half actually first 44 minutes I thought we were pretty good 1-0 up and then we gifted them a goal and uh, just before half time and then everything just turned to shite excuse my French that's how it happened and then you got um, Charles Cook just started up in his game and the rest of the company boys uh, just up the game as well. And every time they went forward, they looked like they could have scored against us. Um, I was just one of it just kind of collapsed, to be
2: honest. And then you go to Tyne Castle beat Hearts. I don't still don't know how that. Ha- I was there. <laughs> I, I have some. Well, to be fair, I kind of do know how it happened. Uh, Hearts missed a few chances to make it more than one nil. Then Dundee score. I mean, safe to say, a bit of a fortunate goal with, with the own goal, and then Hearts' Nielsen, the guy who really normally does not do this. Kind of panics, changes the Hearts system to, to mirror Dundee system, a four-four-two. I mean. I don't know why. Like, if you've got Charlie Adam as part of the opposite of midfield too. You maybe want to stick another body in there and run over the top of him. But no, change it to match up man by man. And Peter is about, especially after his injuries, about as slow as Charlie Adam. So that kind of worked out pretty well in Dundee's favour. For that point forward, it was kind of an even game. You maybe even see Dundee were, were edging it. And that was how it ended up happening, in my opinion. But you still, you would have thought that was enough to give McPake Some more time. I could have thought that. I thought, in fact, I'm pretty sure I made the joke. Like Hearts might have done the rest of the league a favour by giving McPake another (laughs) six weeks or something. And I do wonder whether, like you say, was they were kind of looking for? They might be looking for candidates, and that does actually make more sense in my theory. But my theory was similar. But they thought, well, we'll get rid of them. But why don't we? Like next two games, we've got Peterhead away in the cup. We'll probably win that one but maybe we don't want to kind of upset the players kind of thing. Let's just let's just give him these next two games. He'll lose at hearts anyway, but it regardless who we bring in, we'll lose at hearts. And then after the Peterhead game, we can start afresh, kind of thing. But then he goes and wins them too. And it's like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck it. We're sacking him anyway.
1: Yeah, that's what I think happened. Um, it's, it's just a weird one. Uh, even if... After winning that match, you'd still think to yourself, "Well, maybe hang back, hang fire, because they're, they're getting a little bit of momentum." Fair enough. The Peterhead performance was it was quite bad, to be honest, as well. And a uh, moment of magic from Charlie Adam, uh, getting a second goal, called off the game. But um, yeah, uh, perhaps perhaps game might scunner the Dundee board, to be honest. Um, uh, maybe Nielsen was doing them a favour back. After the voting fiasco score before, but. <laughs> <laughs> and then they never got the email about it. There's an email joke, but. <laughs> no, 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 the email was a um,
2: emailed McPaeke after the county game it just came through.
1: Yeah, basically, but, um. Oh, yeah, it's a. It's a weirdo. McPaeke's got a habit of going through like six, seven games without a win. Maybe four without, like, four straight defeats, but then you've got a habit of picking up, uh, momentum after that and kind of getting himself a bit of breathing space and I kind of feel that's what he was going to get. Like not even taking into um, account the Celtic game coming up because I think most Dundee fans are probably going to write that one off but um, I feel like after that be the, the two victories there, but going into the St Mirren game, I think, that's the next one, on the Wednesday with there MB a bit of momentum um, and I feel like what's happened is maybe knocked the sail at the, the window at the sails for the Dundee team a bit to be honest
2: Ah, you're yeah, right because I was kind of talking about timing and when you're going to bring a manager and my theory doesn't really make any sense because if you're looking at Dundee's fixtures coming up because you don't get rid of a manager you don't do that to get rid of a manager then bring in the new one it would have made sense if they'd if they'd left it like a they sacked McPake before the Celtic game and then like okay we'll leave it for one interim boss like for that game but you don't give a new manager Literally the hardest task <laughs>
1: It's going through. Yeah, yeah Yeah Basically you yeah, Just do the way we are, that, that kind of New manager bounce That everybody talks about Because you're going to park head To play Celtic
2: As long as you don't get beaten 9-0 to be fair
1: oh, That's only three points though Isn't it <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell i looking up My Martin McGee quotes Before coming on here right, have, have you looked up
2: On Wikipedia
1: a few of them, yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of classes. He's had a couple of the interview just there that he done for the Dundee game. Uh, Dundee um, appointment, I don't know if you've watched that. No, not yet. 20 minutes. He kind of goes on about um, how he's been looking at Dundee's goals. He's seen the games, he knows the players. and Just uh, the normal stuff you know from a manager. He's just basically telling you that. He knows who's who. And then somebody asks him the question, um, are you going to be changing the captain? captaincy and he's like I have not even idea who the captain is (laughs) yeah this is what we're (laughs) up against now
2: okay (laughs) so you've watched all these games Mark you've never noticed the the bright green armband on anybody (laughs)
1: on Charlie Adam of all people right, you know exactly. what I mean?
2: <laughs> he's not exactly like an inconspicuous player is he yeah
1: big bald napper <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I can
2: <laughs> ok so we'll get back to McPake uh, we'll give his uh, obituary in a, a little bit but now that we're on the subject of Mark McGee what?
1: yeah uh, what yeah it's it's Strachan isn't it Gordon Strachan's appointment and he's uh he's appointed his mate who's been at a job for since well Dundee beat them for Motherwell five one back in five years ago I think and he's been at a job ever since then as a manager um he's had assistant managers here and there but um a hell of a long time to be out and you can tell by some of the reactions some of the ex Dundee players on social media that they're kind of they will disapprove of it as well and. Then, Not all of them are James McPake's mates either, it's just basically a case of fuck's sake. It kind of a few boys have said they were dinosaur and all that. I didn't want to slate a Dundee manager as soon as we've got them, but Mark McGee.
2: (laughs) In fairness, is is there a possibility that we're we're letting his reputation kind of cloud some of the success he's had as a manager? Like is he, is he not like a safer pair of hands than James McPake, who is still pretty much a rookie, especially at the top flight level?
1: Yeah, there is a good argument to that. How do we look at McGee's record? And he does seem to have like a good first season with teams, like a good kind of bounce with them. It always seems to go to pot in the second season for them, but it seems to do initially he does well. Yeah. Um, So, it could be that kind of looking at it that way. Um, And also, he's got the boy, Simon Rusk, who he was assistant to. No, he wasn't assistant. He said he was the manager's assistant at Stockport. That's another thing he said in his interview. So, this Simon Rusk is now his assistant at Dens, but at Stockport, he was his manager's assistant. It's kind of like um, the office. David Brent, um, Garth Crook sort of... uh, assistant to the manager type thing but um, I've not got a clue but I kind of think to myself is that maybe a case of Rusk's going to be the manager and McGee's the kind of front man because I think the fans would go even more mental if we appointed the nobody if you know what I mean the fans always want some new experience and um, it might just be a case of this is kind of a he's going to be manager but this boy here is going to be the one kind of making the decisions which kind of again Falls into McGee's six-match ban, touchline ban. So, kind of, is it a case of Rusk is the man that's going to be doing it?
2: Yeah, and you made the point about McGee's kind of initial impact. Certainly, both terms at Motherwell was like, oh, yeah, one of them was donkeys ago, so let's like throw that away. But his most recent spell in mind when he went back to Motherwell, he took over. a pretty, a fairly certainly, took over from Ian Barraclough eh, after that team started to to create a little bit and he got them playing well for that season when they were in relegation bother, and then next year they went right back to relegation bother, and then that was when he was emptied and Stephen Robinson, I think, then took over till the end of the campaign and was then given the job on a, a full-time basis. So he, he can do it. And he does have this, ga- this band, though. H- how much... I, t- I often wonder about bans like this. So when it comes to managers, yeah, he's not allowed to be in the touchline, but he's still allowed to be in the stands, and it's easy enough to get messages to and from the dugout to your to your coaches. How much a big deal do you think it is? Because I often think it's a bit overstated when we say that managers are banned for games.
1: Yeah, uh, I think managers do the talking before half time, uh, before the game and at half time. I think during the game. Uh, I mean, how many managers do you actually see actually going mental on the touchline? Just, probably just the mental ones that are going mental, but, um, I don't really see anybody rushing out, giving it whatnot and, and whatever. The, the players are given their, their, their jobs to do that game. The captain is the one that's doing all the talking on the field towards them. So, I kinda don't see the big deal in it. Especially because he's got his background team there, and he'll probably be doing his Sam Allardyce headphone um, and into the uh, dugout. So I didn't see it as a big deal, but it doesn't look good, though, when you're in a relegation battle, 13 games left, and you appoint a manager who is going to be six games up in the director's box. It doesn't really give a good look. And um, <laughs> But then when you tell people, it's Dundee, though, they're like... Uh, fair enough uh, okay <laughs> <that's> the <laughs> well, that's, thing we do
2: that's the thing like I'm saying like the, the six game ban is not uh, it's not as big a deal as people are kind of making out to be McGee does have a decent record of coming in initially and making teams better but it's Dundee and <laughs> and the fact that James McPake has been sacked off it like I'd say like do you want to swap like go back a couple of weeks and say right you've got a choice James McPake stays your manager to the end of the season or you swap him for Mark McGee Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not the best of choices it's, it's kind of like asking how you'd like to die but I think you would have been Yeah, eh, let's see what Mark McGee can kind of do so it's not the end of the world type of thing but because they've got rid of a manager having won two games and because of the things he's come out with his press conference as you said and because there's already a kind of feeling of oh, well, is he in charge or is he just the front man for this guy that they heard of it just screams relegation to me
1: yeah, it's, um, it's kind of Jim McIntyre-esque for Dundee, because I think last time we won the Premiership, we were in the position Well, appointed McIntyre and uh, like, worst ever uh, ending of a season for Dundee um, absolutely popped up the league and you do kind of get the vibes of this as well, um, just because McGee's kind like, of a strong There's I hate, hate hated figure, but when you see Motherwell and Albany fans commenting on everything and the, the, the Dundee fans as well commenting, it just seems like he's universally unliked by people, even actually just take away all the views, just any team in Scotland they've all been commenting on it, I just like he's universally hated for some reason it's, it's bad saying it, but that's what you're reading into it, but that's, well, that's social media isn't it, but it just seems everybody's laughing at this and i <laughs> so am I so if yeah. you, 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 you didn't laugh then you'll
2: end up chucking yourself off the table
1: <laughs>
2: <you>? <laughs> right let's uh, finish up by looking back at James McPake what was his biggest issue as a manager at did
1: I think his biggest issue was I feel like he was flung into to the team uh, when we were relegated we were going into a league where Dungeon United who had just been taken over and they were waiting to be big spending, um, which they did and we needed somebody in there that had kind of been around the leagues. Uh, we went for McPake and we struggled that year. Uh, we did kind of turn the corner uh, in the January window. He reinforced the team and we've we'd done, we'd done pretty good uh, and made a little beeline at the end, but obviously COVID kind of uh, scuppered all that. The next year kind of went the same way. There was a little theme in his tenure of the manager so the next year, again, in the summer, made sign-ins, and, and it wasn't going too good. And then January window came again, made sign-ins, I picked up. We got second, and we got promoted from the playoffs, which was fantastic. But I feel like we're kind of... I feel like we're bossed the playoffs, but to get to the playoffs, we stumbled. Because the only time we were second was the last uh, day of the season, when we were claim second. So. And we had like one of the worst defences in the championship as well. And then this season went the exact same way. Summer window here, he failed to um, strengthen an the bad not bad defense, but a leaky defense that uh, that was basically championship level, and he, he did try to his best to, to do it, but then he he picked picking people like Lee Griffiths who I was against signing in the first place, and trying to shoehorn him into the team for like Jason Cummins. Griffiths was visibly unfit. Uh, He's not got that spark around him anymore. It was just just like a bit of a panic but he, it's hard to, to criticise him because he's been at the club eight and a half years and I've met him a few times, I've had the joys of doing DTV and uh, he was a lovely man, he, you can tell he just always wanted to do well for Dundee but I just think this manager's job was too soon for him.
2: he will he'll get another chance soon somewhere.
1: I think somebody will take a chance on. I'm just because you got manager of the season last season. I, I have no idea how because I thought Nielsen would have been showing me up, be running away with the league. But they've probably got probably got fed up again. and manager of the season in the championship, <laughs> but um, shake it up a bit. But um, I think he will. I think he'll get uh, someplace. Uh, it'll be a championship team or something. But um it's one of those where I think every Dundee fan wanted them to do well. But at the same time, when you're ten wins, uh, ten games without a win most of 90% fans, even though they want him to do well, wanting him uh, uh, gone. And Dundee fans are quite picky when it comes to, to changing managers, to be honest. But um, yeah, you can look back at his uh, uh, time as Dundee manager uh, with a, a lot of highs and a uh, hell of a lot of lows, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, you wish him well. and uh, There's no ill feelings towards him. Um, even though a lot of people were quite uh, vocal in wanting him sacked, it's weird because now he sacked. It's kind of like a a find out Oh, it's, it's a shame it never worked out. But about two weeks ago, they're like, "Mate, get the fuck <laughs> and all that." capers. But that's the nature of a football fan, isn't it?
2: Certainly is. Certainly is. All right, Daniel. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. No problem, Craig. Thanks, mate. And thank you to everybody for listening to this three-part podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And be sure to check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podcast, where for as little as two pounds a month they can unlock hours and hours of exclusive bonus content. And for this weekend's fixtures, I hope you enjoy your football. Cheers. Sports Social
0: Podcast Network. 18 plus.